Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's July 2020, and we're still in COVID-19 quarantine. So we join each other via Zoom to bring you another lockdown listener request. Our mysterious listener, Roberta, writes... I would like to suggest an episode of Suspense called The Black Door. I listened to it the other day and I had to wonder what you guys would make of it. Suspense was one of radio's most highly regarded and longest-running anthology programs. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills premiered on CBS in 1942 and ran for another 20 years. Known for its big-name stars, high production values, and sophisticated scripts, Suspense raised the bar for dramatic radio. Sadly, though, by the end of the 1950s, suspense was a shadow of its former self. Dramatic radio was disappearing from the airwaves thanks to the ascension of television. Lack of sponsors meant CBS could no longer afford A-list Hollywood talent. Instead, the network relied on regional radio actors and supplemented run-of-the-mill original scripts with recycled ones from other long-vanished radio series. The Black Door was written in 1952 by Robert Arthur for The Mysterious Traveler, a series he co-created with David Kogan. Unfortunately, the original no longer exists, so this suspense production is the only surviving version. The Mysterious Traveler framing sequence was removed for suspense, but Arthur's distinctive storytelling style makes it easy to imagine the sinister purr of Maurice Tarplin inviting you on another journey into the strange and terrifying. And now let's listen to The Black Door from Suspense from November 19th, 1961. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. And now, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Listen now to Act One of The Black Door, starring Robert Reddick, featuring Ralph Camargo, and written especially for suspense by Robert Arthur. The mistake I made was going through that black door. If I'd left it shut the way it was, sealed tight, everything would have been fine. I'd have married Marsha, become a full professor, I had my name in all the papers. Well, there's no use telling the story backwards, is there? First things first, as old Professor Wentworth always said. And the first thing in this case is the grant I received to hunt for a lost city in Central America. The city of the fire god. Which might mean something, or might mean nothing. Anyway, I got the grant from the university, chartered a modern helicopter for three months, flew it down to Central America, got the necessary government permissions, and made my base of operations the tiny little town of San Marcos on the coast. As nearly as I could figure from the manuscript, the city of the fire god was someplace among the mountains in that area. 
So I flew back and forth over the mountains in the helicopter, keeping a lookout for ruins in the jungle or the mountain valleys. And for two and a half months, I saw nothing except trees and rocks. In the town, I was charitably looked upon as a crazy Yankee. And finally, even the children stopped staring at me. But I was getting pretty discouraged. And trying to forget my troubles with a glass of tequila in a little garden outside the town's only cafe while some native with a guitar serenaded his girl nearby. Waiter? Wait. Oh, there you are. Uh, pardon, senor. I am not the waiter. He, he's busy. Busy? No one's been busy in this town since Columbus discovered America. Uh, that's very true, senor, but... Uh... I have uh, paid the waiter to go somewhere else. Uh, that's why he's uh, busy. <laughs> uh, look at this, senor. Well, well, let me see that. It's a tiny statue, very old. Huh? Statue carved out of volcanic basalt in the style of the oldest known Mayan carving. Where did you get that? Oh, that is easily answered, senor. Well, then tell me. My grandfather, he gave it to me when he died. Well, where did he get it? Uh, senor, that is a harder question. Now, look, if you came here just to play games with me, no, no, I... No, 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 senor, no, no. That is why I sent away the waiter. So we could talk uh, confidentially. Yes, well, let's talk uh, confidentially. Where did that little statue come from? From the mountains, senor. But well, the whole country is mountains. See, si, see, si, that is true, but... Uh... You see, my grandfather was a great hunter. Uh, once he followed a wounded jaguar high into the mountains. Mm -hmm. see? Uh, some savage natives then followed my grandfather. Yes. Well, he was wounded, and to escape, he climbed a great cliff. Go on, go on, go and on. And he reached the top, and on the other side, he saw a dead city. A dead city? Si, senor. Silent, lifeless, far below him. Yes, he, he tried to climb down to it, and he fell, senor. For three days, he lay unconscious. And when he recovered his senses, he had the fever. Mm -hmm. And somehow, he found his way out. He does not know how. He, he staggered back to his home. Yes. Uh, they found him in the jungle, crawling on his hands and knees, clutching this little statue and saying over and over, La Puerta Negra, La Puerta Negra. The what? The black door, senor. The black door? Si, senor. And my poor grandfather... He was never strong enough to go hunting again, but he kept this little statue. And he said he'd had saved his life. What did he mean by the black door? Oh, one cannot say, senor. Uh, he could not remember. Surely he went back to the lost city? Well, no, he was not strong enough. Besides, there were the savages. But you mean nobody ever tried to find the city again? Well, why should they, senor? It belonged to the dead. Well, they might be angry if the living came to disturb them, eh? Those old superstitions. <laughs> si, senor. Now, me, I am not superstitious, eh? I, I speak American well. Uh, uh, the uh, senor uh, wishes to find this lost city. I, Pedro Ramirez, know where it is. Go on. You see, my grandfather described it to me. The, the mountains where it is hidden. Yes. They are three days' walk from here. No, three days. Now, that's 50 or 60 miles. What direction? <laughs> eh, senor, that is the question, eh? What direction? A eh, most important question, no? I get it. How much? <laughs> a mere pittance for a rich Yankee, senor. Uh, $1,000 American. $1,000? And uh, one half of all the treasure. What treasure is that? Oh, there must be treasure, senor. Why else would you seek this lost city? Because I want to become a professor at a university and marry a girl named Marsha, whose father is head of the Department of Archaeology. 
All right. A thousand dollars if you actually guide me to the city you say your grandfather found. And uh, half the treasure. Yes. Half the treasure. If any. We sealed the bargain with a glass of tequila. And the next day, Pedro came with me in the helicopter. He directed me to fly to the southeast, and I did, hovering as low as I dared over the rocky edges and jungle. Well, we've come more than 50 miles, Pedro. No sign of that city yet. Oh, yes, senor. There to the left. There is the mountain. What, that? Are you crazy? That's the cone of an extinct volcano. Si, senor. And the lost city is inside the volcano. Oh, now, wait a minute. How could that be? Well, I know I do not know. I was not there when he was built. On the other hand, city of the fire god. I wonder. Well, I haven't looked into that volcano yet, so here goes. We lifted high in the air over the top of the old dead volcano. And we came out over a deep circular valley, grown up with jungle now. But there, in the center of the jungle, was a group of stone buildings dominated by a vast ruined temple. Senor! Senor! The lost city of my grandfather. Oh, it is rich with treasure. I have the feeling. Well, even if it isn't, this is one of the biggest finds in the history of Central America. Well, we're going down now. We'll sit down on that level spot right in front of the temple. settled in front of the old temple. I got the motors. And for a moment, we just sat there taking it in. The stone towers. The ancient carvings. The massive walls that had been put into place by men whose bones had turned to dust maybe three, four thousand years ago. And then we climbed out. We were both armed. We had flashlights. And I had a small hammer and chisel tucked into my belt. Aboard the helicopter, I had a case of dynamite if any blasting was necessary, but this was just to be a preliminary survey, so I left it where it was. Pedro and I found ourselves on a big stone plaza with a partially ruined temple in front of us. The entrance was flanked by two tremendous stone carvings. Oddly enough, very like something from Egypt. Human figures with heads that were vaguely dog-like. Which made them seem most unhuman. Senor, those statues, I do not like them. Yes, they are rather odd. But I'm more interested in those designs carved in the rock above them. Eh? Design, senor? Oh, they but show the moon, the new moon and the old moon. Yes, and there are more moons all over the front of the temple. Now, that's unusual. Most of the old civilizations in this area worship the sun. Si, senor, but I cannot help wondering. Wondering what? Why the man who made those statues put the heads of dogs on them. It was dark inside the temple. But our flashlights gave us enough light. Vast stone pillars supported a roof high above us as we moved down along 
a lengthy corridor. And then we came into a central rotunda that got some sunlight through a crack in the roof. Look! Look, senor! Gold! Gold! Ten statues! Uh, Twelve statues! And each of them solid gold! Come! Come, look, senor! Gold! Gold! I am rich! I am rich! Pedro was right. Ranged in a circle in the middle of the rotunda were twelve golden statues about five feet high. They were all human figures with dog-like heads. And they were all looking at a spot on the floor in the middle of the circle they made. Gold senor! And look! Look! Jewels! Jewels! Baskets of them! Oh, senor! Senor, I am the richest man in the world! Mm, at the foot of each statue, a carved stone basket. And each one has a handful of gems in it. Obviously, these statues were worshipped, and the gems were tribute. Pedro, have you taken a good look at these statues? Shine your light on this one. Uh, uh, Madre mia! Again, the head of the dog! Yes, they're all dog-headed statues. And all their eyes are focused on one spot over there. It seems to be something carved on the floor. Let's see what that is. Mm. strange. A round black carving on the floor. Almost like a globe or a map. Mm. Good Lord. Do you know what this is supposed to be? Eh? Uh, No, senor. I cannot guess. It's the moon. Eh? Carved on the floor in black basalt. The moon. Ah, see. Oh, that is most strange, no? you don't know the half of it. Because the formations carved here, they're not the formations our astronomers know. Unless the Russians have some new pictures they're not talking about. If this carving represents the real geography of the moon... Pedro? Si, senor. The artist who carved this must at some time have seen the dark side of the moon. Which no... Human being has ever glimpsed. I know it sounds crazy, but the more I studied that round black carving, the more I was convinced it was an accurate relief map of the dark side of the moon. And then we discovered something else. Around the rim of that black disk was a series of crevices filled with tar. I dug the tar out. And under it, in each crevice, we found a small basalt statuette like the one that Pedro had originally shown me. In each crevice but one, which was empty. Senor, see? The story of my grandfather is true. Uh, This little statue he brought back, look. It just fits into this tiny hole. Yes, yes, it does. Uh, Black door. This must be the black door that he talked about. Ah, si, senor. La puerta negra. The black door. But the, how does it open? I don't know. Now, wait, wait. Suppose we stand each of these little statues upright. Okay. Yes. Yes, they fit tightly like handles. Now, if we push them... Si, senor, we push. And it's turning. The black disc is turning. And now it's loose. Now we can lift it up. Let us lift it. 
down there. Maybe more treasure, eh? More gold, more jewels. All right. Uh, now it's coming. See? Coming. There. There, it's open. And there's a well-worn flight of steps leading down into the heart of the old volcano. We stood there, staring down to that black passageway that seemed to go down, down endlessly. I didn't like the looks of it. But Pedro had gold fever. He thought that there might be whole vaults of treasure down below. I couldn't talk him out of looking, so I went along too. The tunnel sloped downward, ever downward into the heart of the ancient volcano. We came across evidence of much usage, broken pottery, strange carvings on the wall. Our curiosity led us on until presently we came to a cavern whose walls seemed to be lined by a curious growth. Senor... Look! Yes, yes, mushrooms are something very much like mushrooms. Solid sheets of it all lining the walls. No, 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 senor, that is not what I mean. Look here. Look through here. Oh, a narrow crevice. There's a room in there. It's not a room. It is what is in the room. Come, shine your light. Then let us leave, senor. What has got you so worked up? It can't be treasure. I see. See? A skeleton, senor. Many skeletons. Hundreds, many. Uh, uh, lying one upon the other. Yes, yes, that rocky room is full of human bones, and much as I hate to say it... What, senor? The ones I can see best have tooth marks on them. Oh, senor, let us leave here swiftly. Uh, let us return to the airplane, eh? Uh, let us take the treasure and go. Easy now, Pedro. These bones have been here hundreds of years, maybe thousands. Old bones or new bones, I do not like these bones. There's no cause for alarm. I don't know. Why does the senor study so hard the mushrooms on the wall? Well, these mushrooms certainly haven't been here for a thousand years. And along here, it looks to me as if big handfuls of them have been broken off. Broken off? For why? There's only one thing I know of you can do with mushrooms. And that's eat them. Pedro and I stood staring at each other. I was pretty sure that something, or somebody had recently been eating that mushroom-like fungus. And I was beginning to wonder what or who when we heard it from somewhere far down below us. Senor, what is that? It sounded like a dog howling. A dog? No, 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 no. That is no dog. Well, what if it's not a dog? What is it? A demon, senor. A devil. Oh, forget that superstition. There's something down there, impossible as it seems, something living. And if we do not leave, there will be something dying down here, senor. Please, come, come, yes, come. Yes, but I'm trying to figure out what on earth that could... Senor Landrich... Those are not dogs upstairs. The statues, the, the, the people with heads of dogs upon them. Does the senor not realize what it is that is howling? Until that second, I hadn't made the connection. And then I realized the full significance of those statues. It couldn't be. It was impossible. But what other answer was there? We turned ahead to the surface. And just as we did so, I saw something coming up the tunnel toward us. Something that was a pallid white shape in the light of my flashlight. Something running on all fours and howling hungrily as it did so. Shoot, senor, shoot! Okay, that stopped it. Now, let's get out of here. We didn't even stop to look at what I'd shot. I'm not sure I wanted to look. We just turned and ran up that long tunnel to the surface. And as we went, the howling things pursued us. We could hear them behind us like a pack of hungry animals. From time to time, I turned to fire my gun. But I seemed to scare them. We finally popped out into that ruined temple with the 12 dog-headed gods. And I understood at last what that black door was for. It sealed the entrance to the underground world where they lived. Pedro and I flung ourselves on the ground. The great round slab of black rock was, and we couldn't move it. It was wedged open somehow, and we couldn't get it closed. 
Senor! Senor, quickly! They will follow us in a moment! Gathered down there beyond the first bend. Obviously, they don't like light. They are getting up their courage. Well, we've got to shut them in. We can't let those things loose. But we can't shut the black door. We can do nothing! The helicopter, quickly! I eh? got it. The dynamite in the helicopter. We'll blow in the mouth of the tunnel. But, senor... You heard me. It'll only take 60 seconds. Yeah, that'll keep them quiet another minute or two. Now, come on. Help me with that case of dynamite. It took us less than a minute to get the case of dynamite, bring it back inside the temple and light a fuse. And then I shoved the whole case down the steps into the black tunnel. Pedro and I hurried back into the open, scrambled into the helicopter, and started the motor just in case. Ah, Senor Landry. What is it? The treasure. The jewels. We did not bring them. We can get them after the tunnel is blown in. You don't want to tangle with those dog-headed creatures, do oh, you? No, 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 por los santos, no. But, Senor, what are they? They must be demons, for, for surely they are not of this world. Well, I agree with you, but they're not demons. Listen. That does it. Tunnel is closed for good. Now, Pedro... Senor, the temple is collapsing. Uh, and the earth is, is shaking. Senor, it's an earthquake. Pedro, there's only one place for us to go, and that's straight up. helicopter jumped a thousand feet straight up just before the temple crashed on the spot where we had been. And then we watched from a box seat while the lost city crumbled into ruins. The dynamite blast had triggered off an earthquake, and the earthquake rocked the ground like a man shaking a baby's rattle. Senor, senor, the jewels, the gold, they are down there under, under many rocks. Yes, and so are the dog-headed creatures. Suppose they'd got loose on the world after being caged underground for thousands of years. Oh, I can only think of all that pressure. For a little while, I was the richest man in the world. I owned a lost city full of jewels. Now, now I own nothing. After things quiet down, I can bring back an expedition. We'll dig in the ruins. The jewels will still be there. You see, see, that is true, no? I, I will be rich yet, no? I, I will buy myself uh, three automobiles and, and, and 12 shirts. I will smoke cigars all day long and have servants to do everything. I, uh, Senor, senor, I am ruined. I am ruined. What is it now? The dead volcano. He's coming to life. See, the smoke is coming from the ground. Senor, fly higher or we are doomed. Titus. The dynamite triggered an earthquake, and the earthquake opened up fissures leading far down to where the volcanic fires had been banked for thousands of years. And by the time we got ten miles away, that entire mountain was blowing up in a vast spouting fire and ashes and molten rock. But somewhere, somewhere down in the heart of that inferno was the lost city. The city of the fire god. It would have made my reputation. Enough treasure to pay off the national debt. And a howling mob of creatures you wouldn't want to meet this side of hell. Well, that's the story. You read about the new volcano. And now you know what caused it. Would you like to know my theory about those creatures? Well, it's this. Six or seven thousand years ago, this old earth had some visitors, refugees, you might call them. And some of them settled in Egypt, some in Central America. 
They brought some highly scientific skills with them, including the secret of overcoming gravity. They ruled for a while, worshipped as gods, and then died out. All except a few who found inside an old volcano a spot just about like home. The native priests managed to lock them in behind that black door and kept them prisoners. After the natives died out, the dog people existed underground, living on mushrooms and keeping their race alive on an animal level. Now they're gone now. But here's a tip for the Army and the Air Force. When you land your first missiles on the moon, keep your eyes open and your guns ready. Because inside those tremendous craters of the moon, living far underground where, maybe, there's still warmth and air. I have a hunch you're going to be running into people. Moon people. Who look a lot like us. Except for their heads. Suspense. You've been listening to The Black Door, starring Robert Reddick, featuring Ralph Camargo, and written especially for Suspense by Robert Arthur. Suspense is produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr. Music supervision by Ethel Huber. Listen again next week when we return with Man Trap, written by John Roberts. Another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Listen to Carol Burnett and Richard Hayes weeknights on the CBS radio network. That was The Black Door from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was a listener lockdown request. I still think we need some kind of effect and some kind of thing for that uh, to make it sound... Like a cell door slamming shut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> World Wrestling Federation kind of effect. Size of boredom. <laughs> <laughs> that came to us from our mysterious listener, Roberta, who suggested that to us. And she was wondering what we would make of it. So she didn't even really allude, as far as I know, to if she liked it or not, or if she thought it was great or thought it was terrible. And All bets are off. Roberta, here, if you're wondering what I make of it, oh my God, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for recommending that. If you listen to this podcast, you know this has got everything that I love in a storytelling. It's adventure and it's got an archaeologist that is trying to find something not for the money because it's the right thing to do. Oh, wait, it's Indiana Jones. Uh, well, no, he's trying to marry his way into the archaeology department. <laughs> Are you saying that's not the right thing to do? <laughs> yeah, I love these kind of stories, and I'm willing to fight both of you on this uh, if you guys hated it. <laughs> but let me just ask you this first. Is there any doubt from either one of you when you were listening to this that I was going to say that? You should know me well enough that you must have been thinking, he's going to love this. I'll be honest. I wasn't considering your opinion when I was listening to this. Wow. Wow. That just really actually put me in my place. When you Because I was having too good a time. When you guys are thinking about me all day, every day, and how 
I might be thinking about things. How would Eric eat this sandwich? (laughs) Would he start from the middle and work his way toward the crust? Yeah. uh, So, Joshua, were you thinking about me during the listening of the podcast? Not at all. I was trying to figure out why I didn't enjoy this more than I did. Ah. On the page, mushroom eating dog people from the moon (laughs) is not any more ridiculous than like vowel chanting caterpillars from another dimension, like in the Northern Lights Quiet Please. And that I find absolutely brilliant. But this one I found kind of silly. And so I can't really discern what the difference is here. But for some reason, it didn't engage me in that same way, despite being very similar. If a movie trailer said mushroom eating dog people from the moon, I would run out of the theater to the ticket office to pre-order my tickets. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that bugged me about this was the piano music, which I liked and could have worked, but it seemed to be coordinated with the narrator in a way that made me imagine that he is now working at a piano bar and he tells this story in between Cole Porter medleys. (laughs) I could not get that out of my head. So there was a review from somebody online about this that said the same exact thing. It oh, really? Like okay, so I'm not alone. Right, that said he's in Piano Bar, and I wrote that down to address it in this podcast to say to that person who wrote that and to you that I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> I loved the somber, cold, distant, lonely piano playing as a device for the narrator. I thought it actually made things more foreboding. And that is the part of it that not only style-wise and story-wise, but that part of it also reminded me of Quiet, Please. And how- Don't get me wrong. I really liked the piano music. There was something about the way the actor spoke and rhythm of his sentences made it sound like he was talking along with the piano playing. Yeah. I see it's theater that. of the mind. And so that's that dangerous thing with sound. If it connects in a weird way, it makes you imagine something you don't necessarily want to imagine. And then again, if there was a quiet police script about a guy who once was an archaeologist and now works in a piano bar, and if it was explicitly part of the script, I'd probably go, awesome. <laughs> right. That's so funny. I had no problem with the, the music as is. I'm totally on the same page as Eric because I really loved it. I didn't have that problem. Except I have in the past had that come up with me with Mysterious Traveler. It seems unrelated. I don't know if there's any overlap in the production teams aside from the script, but that exact thing of I'm talking, I'm talking, organ staying, and it totally sounds like there's an organ on the bus. (laughs) Also funny to me, listening to this, I kept thinking, this does not sound like suspense, which clearly it was not originally, but I would have never guessed Mysterious Traveler. I wouldn't have said quiet, please. Like, this is escape to me. I can see that as well this pace was very much an escape show pace and I, I loved it. It's a simple face value concept. It's lovely in that unlike last week's show where I had to think about everything really deeply and figure out what each line meant. <laughs> this show is just very straightforward. Guy's going to go find this lost city of fire and he's brought a guide with him and it turns out to be, creatures from the moon and i think they did a really good job cramming 
a lot of story into a half an hour. I mean, it escalated quickly and, <laughs> and then it was resolved quickly, but they only have 30 minutes. I like all that. Here's something though, that I found very interesting about the concept of this. The concept of this is that aliens were on this planet a long time before humans and had society. And they landed primarily in Egypt and Central America and built things like the pyramids. And first of all, this show is 1961 when this came out. It was what written I, in 1952 originally. So right, even all right, so let's, let's go to 1952 then. I don't know when the Eric Von Daniken nonsense was written, Chariots of the Gods and all of that, when people first started to think about that concept that ancient aliens built all these things in these societies. I, I think the Von Daniken books were in the 60s, and I think that's what started it all. My point is, I'm wondering, is this the first we've ever heard of this theory, or did they pull this from somewhere else? Tim can maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but this was a common trope in this early golden age science fiction, and then it became an actual thing that people believed in real life. But this idea of aliens coming to Earth and creating parts of our civilization, I think was a common trope. Uh, I mean, we see it in Star Trek, you know, a decade later in the late 60s. I think so. I think it's once there's sci-fi and aliens, that's one of the tropes of aliens. Uh, it's probably one of the earlier stories about it in 1952, but there were probably ones before it. I just found it fascinating how early of an example of this idea it is. Uh, yeah. That really started taking hold in the 70s. And as Joshua said, not in fiction, in, hey, we think this might be a thing. I think it's the basis of four or five episodes of In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> There's two whole networks that thrive on this, I'm sure. Right, exactly. That does make the impact of the reveal at the end much more jarring and startling if you heard it in the time. That's exactly what I'm saying. I think that if we take it from that standpoint, we would go... Oh, wow. Cool. Right. What if aliens had come? But we take it now as, yep, that's been bandied about a million. That's a true fact. (laughs) But I also also, like that the idea of that we don't, at this point, know what the dark side of the moon looks like and that they have a topography and a map of the dark side of the moon. I think that's a really cool concept. If you put yourself in the time setting, you would go, whoa, someone knows what the other side of the moon looks like. And but post-1973, we just think of Pink Floyd. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although I think it was a great visual description of how the black door operated with the individual statues as door handles and it's in yep. the floor and you basically unscrew it. Um, yep. That was really nice and ominous because you got an idea of the size and scope of the place with the various dog-headed statues staring down at the door itself. Very Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Well, in weird ancient technology thing, I was trying to think, wow, screw threading, that's super advanced. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> unscrewing a thing. <laughs> yes, I just I just savoring that sentence. <laughs> Me too. I'm sure when you edit this, you're gonna add extra space after I say screw threading, so it's long, awkward. Yeah. Pause. Some crickets <laughs> are gonna be chirping. <laughs> <laughs> so while I'm on the uh, topic of awkward confessions, I a hundred percent until the end thought the reveal was gonna be they're werewolves. 
Oh. For all the moon iconography and the dog-headed guy. Oh, I know what's coming. I know. I didn't know. Were you disappointed? Because that seems like a, a stronger ending. <laughs> yeah, I'm disappointed. <laughs> How do you feel about the ending, Joshua? <laughs> well, I mean, if I heard this in a piano bar, I would be impressed. <laughs> he gets chased by moon dogs, ravenous, hungry yeah. moon dogs that try to tear him apart, and they have to be trapped back in their black hole to hell it's beautiful and then the whole thing blows up and no one will ever know if it was true or not it's awesome he brought a case of dynamite like just one Chekhov's dynamite and just that much dynamite completely reopened the volcano everything is destroyed thanks for not bringing two cases of dynamite (laughs) (laughs) oh true but these kind of stories, that's the stuff you got to let go because they're just wacky adventures. But, I mean, I think to answer my earlier question about what's the difference between this and something like a, a quiet police story is that there aren't a lot of surprises from my point of view. They mention the dynamites. You go, okay, it's a black door. They're going to a temple. They're going to have to blow it up eventually once they discover whatever's in there. So that's why we brought the dynamite. And Yep. They did it. Like if they opened up the black door and it was, ladies and gentlemen, Peggy Lee. <laughs> oh, I would be so Blow it up. Oh, we got to blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of surprise. <laughs> yes. Black coffee. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There isn't a lot to break down or discuss. The story is the story. It's not deep or have alternate meetings or any kind of representation of society or feelings or anything. A guy just (laughs) discovers this stuff. And I will say this, it's another story. We've had a few of these in the last few months of a guy getting so close to being rich, but can't be. Pedro deserved the money. The archaeologist who just wanted to, you know, marry the president of the school's daughter or whatever it was. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I could care less. And and we have that. Eric, you walk into a temple and you see like a dozen golden statues, you know, like not getting it. But if you find a, like a $200 worth of cash in the ground, like, yes, that's a discovery I can keep. But in some of these shows, they would make it that I wouldn't even get the $200 in a hole in the ground. No, you can't have any money. I just wanted Pedro to say at the end, well, I'm glad I grabbed a handful of jewels and stuffed them in my underwear. <laughs> you know? um, what's nice about Pedro is that he isn't killed. It's nice for once. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stereotypes with him. His avarice is comic relief, and he equates being able to speak American with being, you know, rational and savvy. Yeah. And, you know, so there's some unfortunate moments there, but nothing out of the range of this era of old time radio for sure. But I thought for sure he was a dead man, that he'd be eaten by some mushroom eating dogs who'd confuse him for a mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> On the positive side, the actor that played him is Spanish. Uh, sounded good. Yeah. So there was no caricature aspect to it. It sounded like that is a genuine yeah. Latino man playing a Latino right. character. But you're right, Joshua, it still has some uncomfortable moments. I, I That one really stuck out to me where he says, yeah, see how American I am? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, uh. The moment in the show that stuck out to me, and in my head it was a long pause, 
when he was asked, what do you do with mushrooms? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, but I don't know that you know what, <laughs> in what all it could mean. Right. Those dogs were down there tripping out, listening to Pink Boy's <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> Right. Yeah, Dude, do you see some non-dog-headed people up there? I'm <laughs> just imagining that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do not eat the red mushrooms. <laughs> but that's how gold dog-head statues get built, is by eating mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> Does the existence of dogs on the dark side of the moon make the dark side of the moon a lost track from the Animals album? That's what I really want to know. <laughs> oh. That was my deep cut for Eric. See, sometimes I think of Eric. (laughs) You mean the best Pink Floyd album ever, Animals? I'm sure I'll get emails about that, but that's not debatable. I'm right. All right. I Uh, like the album Animals better than this episode, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, has anybody got any other tidbits of thought from this episode they want to share? Other than Carol Burnett had a radio show weeknights. That was nice to hear. <laughs> that was the beginning of her career, man. 1961. She was barely Fresh off of Once Upon a Mattress or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say this about this. And I think Joshua and I can come to an absolute agreement. For later episodes of Suspense, when things went downhill, this stands out as much better than most of them toward the end. Yes. I knew we'd find common ground. <laughs> this is one of the best of the later years yep. of suspense. It's good, but good is the enemy of great, as a dear old friend of mine used to say. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some terrible final groans and gasps of suspense out there. Yes, there is a long, dark stairway leading down from here as far as quality goes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think With the dog-headed people start writing the scripts after this. <laughs> All right, well, let's send it to a vote. This week, we start with Joshua. This, I think, does stand the test of time outside of uh, some uh, racial stereotypes. It's familiar ground. I think it's comfort food. I think it is really well done. And I'm wondering how much if I had heard that Mysterious Traveler intro to this would put me in a different headspace than suspense and give me different expectations. Because I I don't expect to quite be as surprised or have as many twists thrown at me in an episode of The Mysterious Traveler as I do in suspense. So perhaps that was it. Tim? I think that's a, a... Astute assessment. I really did enjoy this. I wouldn't call it a classic. Um, it's a good meat and potatoes adventure thriller with a little bit of horror thrown in there. And pretty quickly in the story, I just like, this is not suspense and just chucked all that out the window. And as far as the twist ending goes, like, huh, that's, I think, appropriate response to, oh, they're from the moon. But as Eric <laughs> pointed out, if in the time period, that might not be quite so much the meh twist. But yes, I enjoyed it a lot, and it stands the test of time. I couldn't agree with both of you more. Uh, I will just add this. It was really fun, and that's really my assessment of this. Classic, no. Stand the test of time. If you like this kind of stuff, yes. <laughs> it stands the test of time, but this isn't everyone's cup of tea. But is it fun? Yeah, it's fun. I enjoyed myself thoroughly. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. 
please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find many other episodes of the podcast there. Uh, and it's a great way to get a hold of us. If you have episodes you want to recommend, you can leave a message for us. You can comment on episodes, let us know what you thought. And you can link to our social media pages and interact with other people who are part of our community of old radio listeners. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We really do appreciate it. When we are recording this episode, we are at 99 patrons. You could be the 100th. <laughs> so act now. You get exactly nothing for doing that. <laughs> but you know that you are the 100th. That's impressive. And you would also get access to all these great members-only podcasts, The Secrets of the Mysterious Old Radio, as well as our current members-only podcast, Cliffhangers of Doom. And we are currently listening to City of the Dead from Adventures by Morse. And it is great fun. We are about halfway through. I think that if you sign up and you are the 100th, that we will send you something that says you're the hundredth. <laughs> so it's just proof that you can say I was number 100. It'll be an email you'll have to print out. We'll send you some mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you'd like to see or hear us perform live right now in the summer of 2020, as we follow all the restrictions in theater, we have taken our live shows and our original old time radio works and recreations and lost episodes that we do and we are recording them and producing them in studio and then you can go to parksquaretheater.org parksquaretheater is the theaters that we have uh, teamed up with to bring you our shows and there you can purchase a ticket our next one is july 20th and we'll be doing a couple of shows you'll listen to them uh, we'll listen to them with you and then we'll have a Q&A session. Once all this lifts and we're able to get back on stage, you can come and see us live and perform these live. Coming up on July 20th of 2020, we will be doing an episode of Candy Matson that is a lost episode. The script exists, but not the audio. So we're going to recreate that. And then we're also doing a show written by Tim Uren. Tim, tell him about it. Uh, it's a little fictional series called The Minnesota Goodbye about a Minnesota-based uh, hardball detective. All right, what's coming up next? Next, we'll be listening to another lockdown listener request. Uh, this one is from a series we have yet to discuss on the podcast. It's an episode of Vanishing Point called Disappearance. Until then... Look out! Wow. Screw threading, that's super advanced. <coughs> Unscrewing a thing. <laughs>